0: The Bellows, getting started in design. All right, cut to edge of stage. Great. All right, color frost. Check. One, two, three. Check. Stand by, please. House to half. House out. Running keys is one, two, ten. Hello and welcome back to The Title Block. I'm your host, Michael Cruz. And on this episode, we present another session of The Bellows, a monthly informal discussion about theatre production that takes place in Toronto, this time in the lobby of the Theatre Centre, recorded on May 15th, 2017. In this session of The Bellows, host Christopher Ross this time leads a discussion with lighting designer Jareth Lee, performance designer Shannon Lee Doyle, sound designer and composer Alex Williams, and yours truly, Michael Cruz, about getting started in in design. You can find more complete bios online at thetitleblock.com and of course I encourage you to support the show through patreon.com where you can help me cover more events like this and bring interesting local discussions to artists across Canada as well as interviews with Canada's leading designers about their history and their craft. And now here's the next session of The Bellows, getting started in design.
1: Hello and welcome to The Bellows.
2: Thank you all for being here today. Uh, before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional keepers of this land, the Haudenosa- Haudenosaunee, the Anishinaabe peoples, the Métis, and the Mississaugas of New Credit.
1: Uh, so thank you to them. <laughs> Absolutely. Hi, welcome so much. Uh, my name is Pip Bradford.
2: I'm Rebecca Hooten.
1: And then behind us we have our panel, which also includes Michael Cruz and Chris Ross. Uh, the four of us are the Bellows, and so are all of you. Uh, our panel today is on getting started in design. Michael Cruz is answering his phone.
0: I'm watching you live on the internet. Oh, that's scary! You're terrifying. on the internet. Don't look at the internet. Yeah, yeah. Hi, internet. We love, we can love, love you. you. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> give us a little that's hearts. <laughs> that's no, a big delay. Just to internet. let you know, uh, we we are, uh, the microphones uh, are not for um amplifying but for a podcast which is uh michael cruz's podcast uh which is the dot com um and it is a wonderful podcast uh you happen to be on there as the bellows but also a number of interviews with different uh designers, designers specifically well, designers which you know michael cruz is nicely. very
1: into design yes uh, and it, it will appear that Thank so are God. we, because we're having a whole panel about it here today. Uh, I don't know that we need to say anything else. Uh, we'll say that the panel is fairly conversational. If you have a question at any point, you can just be like, and there's a microphone right here that we ask that everyone ask their questions into. I'll have it, but I can only go so far. Yeah.
2: So please, like. So please, step like, feel up. free to
1: step up and come see, come see me. I'll be over here near Again, the not, bar. Again, not
2: for uh, amplification or to put you on the spot, just so that the viewers at home and in the future know what you ask. <laughs> um, because
1: otherwise, it's so confusing. Yes.
2: Uh, we also want to thank the theater center for having us. Yeah, today. thank you so much, uh, guys. This is, this yeah. is wonderful. Uh, this is
3: Amanda. she's your you. bartender. Yeah.
2: Uh, tip then. your bartender, she's a wonderful human being, and she's going to help us all have anything that we need. Well, like beverages, I assume, and I'm going to stop. And also
1: love. Um, yeah, love. Also love. Um, uh, without any further ado, yes. I think that we should kick into the panel. Did you want to talk quickly something cool that Amanda Oh, I did want to say that Amanda actually just started, like, a homewares company, which is very exciting, and you're having a launch party here on Tuesday, Tuesday.
2: Yeah. environmentally friendly, sustainable housewares.
1: Um, so we mainly work with linen. If you're interested in that at all, let me know when you come up to the bar. I'll give you my business card. You can sign up for our mailing list, and I'll send you an invite. You can come to our event. It's pretty great. Support local business. Support local business. Yeah. Support local theaters. Um, Anyways, without any further ado, let's kick it to
4: Chris and the panel. <laughs> Awesome. Well, uh, thanks. thanks for coming, everybody. Uh, as previously mentioned, I'm Christopher Ross. Uh, and beside me is our illustrious panel. Uh, and uh, by way of introduction, I'm going to start off with our first question. Uh, who are you,
5: and what do you do? Uh, I, uh, my name is Jareth Lee, and I'm a lighting designer.
3: I'm Shannon Lee Doyle, and I'm a performance designer and a sculptor.
6: I'm Alex Williams, I wear a few hats, I'm a sound and video designer and that's probably why I'm here. Um, but I'm also a filmmaker, an actor, writer, director. So I uh, wear a few hats.
0: Excellent. And my name is Michael Cruz, uh, besides being the producer and the host of the title block, uh, which is a hobby for me, I, am, uh, I was a lighting designer for about, I don't know, 15 years maybe, 10 years. Uh, left the business, and I now work as a paramedic uh, north of the city, and still do this to keep my hand in the business.
1: Uh, Michael Cruz just got into med school, guys, <gasps> on his Ooh, first yeah. try. There is yeah. that, yeah. There
0: right. is
1: that, like.
0: Yeah, yeah it's busy. Uh,
4: so obviously, a wide uh, range of of uh, of people and things. Um, did Did you always want to get into design? Each of you, uh, and how did you get into it? Starting from Um, left to right, Mm -hmm. yeah. Sure.
5: I didn't always know I wanted to go into design. Uh, When I was in high school, I was planning on being a computer engineer on the software side, and somehow fell into a drama class, and things just went straight downhill from there, and now I find myself as a lighting designer, which is, oddly enough, not that different. I spend my time in a dark room talking syntax at a programmer.
3: Just fright, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think I would be a designer. I don't... I think I thought I'd be a lot of different things, but I went to school for sculpture. Um, I think because I wanted to be a director, but didn't really know how to be a director, and so or, like, go to school to become a director, so I was like, I'll go to art school and get a broader education. Um... But then fell in love with sculpture specifically, so I ended up graduating being like, okay, gonna make metal sculptures. That's that's what I want to do. And then found my way back into theater through design. So it was a bit circuitous, but
4: yeah. Yeah, I think that feels feels common for yeah. some people.
6: Alex. Um I think. I was always a bit of a dreamer, I guess, when I was a kid, Um, and uh, I, 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 thinking about it, I've been thinking about images and sound for a long time, Um, and I think it's partly because I was this kid who was a dreamer who just liked to, it took me a very long time to get home from school, actually. I would sort of take a long circuitous route and... uh, back in the day when kids could actually walk home. And uh, I think also growing up on the prairies had a big impact on me. There's a lot of silence on the prairies or, or kind of low din. So I, I often seek that in, uh, in designs. I seek negative space. I seek silence, quiet, um, in order to give something dynamic range. Uh, Aesthetically and emotionally, um, but I, you know, I went to, I went to art school. I went, went, to Concordia and I went to Emily Carr, and now I'm a MFA candidate at um, at York University. Um, and I, I guess I've been thinking, uh, but I, I would say that how I how I got into design really uh, came from those uh, kind of really early primordial kind of feelings about things or that it was important to take time to consider and listen and and uh, and that that was an element of uh, of storytelling um, that was really uh, essential I don't know in some way so and I, I people in Vancouver for example where I lived for a long time know me more as a as an actor but I was acting at the same time I was going to art school so it was it, it sort of made sense, and I, from a young age, I loved the theater, I loved the, the sense of presence that we are all here together like we are now to consider something, to consider the value of a story and consider the, the social importance of it, the political and social importance. And so I guess meaning always kind of led where I was going, you know, just chasing meaning most of my life. So far, I have oh, a question
3: man. for you guys. Are any like do you guys want to be designers or are you designers? Who's out there? Like, who raise a hand? A you want to yeah.
1: can we get a woo 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 or something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a good
3: question. Okay. Why, why are you here? Yeah, yeah. yeah what, is, what Just do you Just so I mean? we know who we're talking to, like yeah, you know, yeah. people yeah. who are, you know, probably cool. work in theater, I assume, or want to. Maybe. Generally, yeah.
4: Nods. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, and there are definitely a lot of things in that answer that we'll talk about soon uh about the process um but before we get too far off track michael how, how did you uh,
0: uh, uh like every lighting designer i think i was a frustrated drummer in high school <laughs> 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 uh because back in back in my day when i started uh, most lighting boards were were um, at least the the mi- medium mid-range were all manuals right so it was all about the buttons all about the bump buttons like park hands and all the ACLs and all that stuff. So uh, I did that in high school, and I had a very strong drama program in my high school. I did uh, a really interesting program in Kitchener, which doesn't exist anymore, called the School for the Performing Arts, which was a summer program for about um, two or three weeks, actually three or four weeks in the summer. It took, I think, the entire month of July. Uh, And we were at the center in the square, which is a large touring house in Kitchener, state-of-the-art facility. Uh, quite spoiled. I was in for a big shock when I came to Ryerson, which was not quite the state of the art. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, that Deep it was pattern. a bit of a shock. When was the last time these fly lines were changed? Like it was years. Uh, so it was a bit of a shock. Now there, if you went. Obviously, there's some Ryerson people in the house today. Uh, and and I I got to, I got the sense because the crew there crosses over with Stratford as well. I got the sense that it was a really uh, it was a fun job. It was always it was an interesting job. Uh, and lighting design was something I transitioned into because of the puzzle of telling a story and uh, in, a, in a way that was very abstract and supporting uh, supporting that. I never really had any original kind of ideas as an artist. I didn't really consider myself an artist. I was more of an artisan. Uh, but I was really interested in telling, helping people tell the story. and and uh, you know get into the interpretation of the script from a lighting kind of point of view so that really interested me and uh right from early in high school that's all I really wanted to do grade 9 grade 10 uh and I had a lot of supportive people and obviously I went to Ryerson uh which uh, was sort of a you know kind of a dream come true uh and I you know from there I just I just took off so it was uh it was really, it came out of the technical kind of field the, the, I liked the puzzle and the, and the architecture of lighting a lot. Uh, and, uh, you know, only later did I realize that it was really about telling stories. And that was an important part of, uh, of live events, live theater. Cool. Cool. Yeah.
4: Um, so how did each of you get your first design gig? Uh, what was that gig? And then I'll have a follow-up question afterwards based on that.
0: But uh, no pressure. What was oh. it and
4: how did you get it? Uh, mine
5: was for a show called The Long Red Road, and I came out of having worked with a director I'd encountered in school. Uh, I went to York University, and after that, uh, after graduation, they came to me for the piece.
3: Yeah, cool. I think that my first design job came from a recommendation from. Someone who had worked with me in a collective creation situation, which is how I started working in theater, or not even really working, like playing in theater as a high school student in collective creation groups where writing and acting and directing, and there's no real hierarchy or specialization. And then a lot of those friends went to York and Ryerson and like decided to become theater artists. Uh, and I think that they, yeah, I think one of them just recommended me to a friend or was doing a show and was like, you go to art school, so you should be our set designer. <laughs> but didn't really, like kind of just because I was an art. Um, so I think it was half being thought of as a visual person and half because I had friends who were making theater. Yeah. I, I think it was called. It was a summer work show. <laughs> <laughs> Not of those. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, summer work show, half theater, half dance. Cool. I had no idea what I was doing. It wasn't very good. <laughs>
0: oh, I'm sure it was marvelous.
6: <laughs> I think similarly, I had a kind of a collective creation experience. I think in in Montreal for a fringe show a long time ago. So we were doing absolutely everything. And I think uh, kind of my first Toronto uh, show was, it was Ruth Maddock Jones and Marjorie Chan, who both brought me in on a show at Theatre because I was a filmmaker and we wanted, um, I am a filmmaker, and we wanted a, um, we wanted to document something. So I took on the role of writing, directing, Doing sound design and video design, mm-hmm. and I actually passed a kidney stone. Um, a we
2: metaphoric. were in
6: a production <laughs> meeting um, because I had so many notes at night, and I was drinking so much coffee. I became absolutely dehydrated. I can tell you, a B. Never do that. <laughs> Just also, you can't actually see because I was on stage too, so you couldn't. You, you, you can't video design. You need to either kind of be on one side of the, the, the game or the other, and in, in a way, um, if 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 you want to, you know, take the time to do that. So, yeah, writing, co-directing, co- you know, all that sort of stuff. So that that um, I think that got me more into video design, uh, in particular, because there were um, there there weren't a lot of people, I guess, at that time, really. Doing video design, and so I got some calls, and, and uh, every year I get a, a call at SummerWorks who was like, can we, <laughs> "Can we come in and just install the projector and get it focused and that sort of thing?" So I get. I, I and now uh, sometimes I work at uh, uh, I work for PRG, which is a big sort of corporate outfit now and again uh, to set up big shows and things like that. So.
0: Uh, do you mean uh, do you, uh, first gig ever or paid gig? That's Ooh,
6: up to you to
4: define, because that's
0: part of the yeah, other yeah. question <laughs> of
4: when did you start calling yourself a uh, designer? Oh, God. That's mm. like so if you want to call it paid gig, that's right. fair.
6: But
0: uh, I can swing all those questions into one, and I can just get it over with. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, my, uh, my first... Uh, one, of the, one of the advantages of the School of the Performing Arts, and I can't, I can't stress... How, there were a bunch of Kitchener and Waterloo artists that came out of this program. Many musical theater artists. A whole everyone I went to to Ryerson with in '91. There were five or six in that class, or in two. Same
1: here.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah who, who who like came out of that like that that uh, that that uh, training program. And anyways, we were we were taught not just the you know mechanics of having hanging a light and this is a cable and this is how you plug it all in, but also sort of the rudiments of the um, uh, of the communication of design. And so that was really interesting to me. Has so interesting to me how you sort of put that puzzle together. So uh, the very first show I did was Canterbury Tales uh, for a community theater project, and I actually did a lighting design for it, which is a bit unusual at that level of community theater, like a, like title block, drawing, paperwork, all that kind of, you know, mechanics again, uh, and that was the first show I did, uh, and then after that I did uh, several other shows of the same kind of, um, same kind of approach, like not just sort of ad hoc, throw stuff together, but actual thinking about design, so I really was acting like a designer, I wasn't really interpreting things too much, I was kind of just going on gestalt and, you know, what should I, what should, what should it feel like? Um, the uh, first pro gig, I think, was in the middle of Ryerson. I lit some community theater show, and they paid me, you know, 150 bucks or something just to do the lighting. Uh, and I can't... I think it was called A Bed of Roses, and I have no, it was probably some British farce or something. I don't even remember. I, did I read the script? I probably did. I <laughs> probably did. But who knows? Uh, and then it took me a long time to actually call myself a lighting designer because I was working as... A tech, and I was working as uh, I was doing whole, all the jobs you do just to pay the rent, right? And uh, and I was enjoying being a tech; that was something that I enjoyed doing. And until I uh, until I I decided to, to not work as an electrician anymore um, for good. I, I didn't consider myself really a full time lighting designer until that. Fair you know, enough. Yeah. So
4: um, so the follow up question to that. Uh, and we can work in reverse order, is uh, what do you think of that first design work you did now, and what would you change? You change by the, what have you learned since then? Maybe one or two things that you've learned since then that you wish you could tell yourself way back when.
0: starting with...
4: Yeah, let's go, let's go with you first. So,
0: well, obviously I left theater, so that's not a very good thing. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's one of the things I, I, I guess I learned late. But... Um, to, uh, become doctor, yeah, I to become a doctor. Yeah,
1: Become a doctor, doctor is the answer There's, to that. I feel There's like it's still hope
0: for all, all, you're all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think one of the things that I did not get until later was this idea that a a, a designer could be especially a lighting designer could be a an original creator. This is something I did not get when I was first starting out. I was solving problems. I was doing that kind of design, right? Well, we need a special in the door. We need an effect here. We need them to be seen mostly, uh, you know, whatever it is. I, you know, I was very good at the photometrics and making, you know, washes kind of blend together. But uh, the idea of going, you know what, wouldn't it be great if we had this element that said this about the play that made this sense in context, that didn't come to me till much later, Uh, and I really didn't kind of hit my stride until right before I left, I I think, like a couple years before I really understood what my job was, uh, even though I was doing it professionally for many years. So, um, yeah, I think that the idea of being an original creator was the one thing I did not appreciate when I was younger. I don't know if I was ready to, um, but uh, it was not something I think that was... It was. It was. It wasn't. This, it was a sort of this unspoken secret, uh, which I guess is the definition of a secret, um, <laughs> that it's unspoken. But uh, it was. It was this. Uh, like no one said you're an artist, right? I was a technician, right? Yeah. That's what I was, and I was applying it on a different level, I guess, or for different means, but. Uh, you know, no one's no one call. I didn't call myself an artist. I didn't. No one said this could be an art. Yeah. So that I think.
4: I still think of myself as a technician who very occasionally designs lights or who knows how lights work, mm-hmm. so can put them up. So I t- yeah, that's yeah. that's a really valuable lesson. Yeah. Hmm. It's
6: interesting. It's kind of I, I think kind of similar. Um, I think, kind of seeing the whole. Uh, Aesthetic experience and of the story of the of the of the whole piece, kind of seeing the big picture um, and seeing the the elements you know when when lights rise and when that moment can only be said by that thing and it and it depends on that thing it depends on light in that moment for that story to come through in in that way, whatever that moment is. And thinking about uh, design elements, uh, I I kind of it, it the play that we did or the piece that we did was very uh, very much dependent on on the video in order to in order to work. The video was really content, and so it was a window into an outside world. It was a, a piece about taxi drivers in Toronto and kind of a remarkable. Uh, set of circumstances in which Rob Ford in some way actually looked like a good guy and actually did some interesting good stuff uh, which was actually just to delegate and say I don't know what this is (laughs) there are a bunch of people who actually know more about it but it was a way of looking into uh, or inviting people into this community of taxi drivers so we needed the video in order to do that so the relationship between a uh, design that supports something um, or design that's content, and just finding those moments. And it became a real question about, you know, what our role was on stage, and I think that's still a, a lingering question about that piece uh, for me is, you know, where our place was, sort of figuring that out, where our place is in the story, what our places. is. Um, but yeah, just finding a when, I guess, uh, when can each element find its, uh, its modest yet um, essential place? It's as though, uh, not that you scream something, but that you're, it's like an offer. It's like, and, and that way you kind of come around the back door of someone and, and sort of, or just behind them and, and, and they feel the sound or they feel the light behind them rather than being hit with it so that it rises and then falls. And just cool. finding out where those um, pathways are, I guess, is a continual process of interrogation yeah. and refinement. Yeah. Cool. What do you wish you knew What's back the then? What,
4: what, what do, you, what, do you wish, what do you wish you knew at I the start of your career that you know now? Uh,
3: well. I don't know if I, I. don't know if there's anything that Sorry. was like, ah, oh, if only I knew. Like, maybe like you're doing a job and you should get paid for it. That's <laughs> uh, a real but, good one. But, Absolutely. Yeah, um, I can't, I was a visual artist, sculptor. Like, was like I'm an artist and really didn't want to call myself a designer for a little while. Uh, because there was a kind of like divide in my head because I went to OCAD and there's like an art faculty and a design faculty, and I was like, I'm an artist. And I think it's speaking, like that sort of sense was about what you were talking about. Like technician versus artist, and my profs were always like, specialists are tools. Like be a generalist, run the room, you know? And so it's kind of like graduating with a sense of like being an artist is a important thing to hold onto, which I think is right. but I learned very quickly, which I think is helpful. That being a designer in a room in a theater like this community that we're in is a lot about listening. And I think I sense that, but like I, I think that it's a good thing to sense. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh-huh. maybe that's part of it I think there's lots I think there's lots that you've The center the room
4: is definitely yeah, a mm-hmm. big skill <laughs> yeah. not everybody can do it uh,
5: well I think one of the things that I've learned over the course of designing the shows is first step lights as a designer you are a creator you do contribute to the process I think mm-hmm. Michael touched on that a little bit earlier and where I learned that was the first show that I had to do where it was, there was no set light was the set and that's where there was no set designer i was the only person in the room so i had to come up and define and create all of these different spaces that would move the story forward and take us from place to place to place without the aid of anything but just a performer and uh, some sound some soundscape in the background Uh, and i think the other thing that i've kind of learned over the course of my time is people rely on designers in the room to make choices, and it's okay, it's very, very okay to be wrong, but you don't know it's wrong until you've seen it once, uh, live, and then you can go, oh, well, I screwed up. Okay, that doesn't work. Yeah, throw it out, let's go back to the drawing board. That's my,
4: that's my big thing. Don't be married to your mistakes. And I yeah actually
0: Michael yeah, go ahead. Uh, can I build on that for a second? Please. One of the other things that I, I also because I came out of a uh, you know a kind of fascination with the technology, I always felt like uh, there was a certain sense of showing off that the effect uh, was really important. Um, and you wanted to you wanted to ma- you want to make it look beautiful and that the rest became subordinate to that. And I think I think that's wrong. I think the design uh, is about solving problems and about answering questions, and about supporting the play. And I think you cannot, like, the design should be subordinate to the story. And I think uh, ignoring that, which I did early on, resulted in some very odd choices and some choices that were distracting. Right? I remember using scrollers in the show when I was in high school that was... Cause there were scrollers, they were so yeah. cool. I mean, now it's all it's all LEDs, right? Like, but but like, and, and yeah. I know mean, scrollers. We used to, they were they were technology. it's they were okay, loud. Michael Cruz. Scrollers are still cool. Oh, scrollers are on. still cool. And uh, we were doing live wipes on the site. Like it was just a wonderful, there, right? And this was this was the uh, this was the this was not the glass menagerie, This was. Uh, a uh, streetcar named Desire, oh. <laughs> and with livewriters and scrollers on the thing, but Amazing. You know, we, were, we were figuring this, we were solving. We I was figuring yeah. stuff up. out, yeah, it was that's not it. maybe that was the problem, I thought it was the problem. Even, <laughs> even as a
4: technician watching designs, I still all the time, I'm like, what if this, but with effects?
0: Yes, exactly, because it looks, or even if it's beautiful, like just wanting it to be beautiful, sometimes. Yeah. It shouldn't be beautiful. Mm. Sometimes beauty is not what you're going for, right? Sometimes right. it has to look dark and ugly and off center and weird, and uh, or, or flat, and uh, you know, because you're telling the story, you're not making things beautiful. Uh, you're not yeah. a yeah. you know a window dresser, right? That's
4: yeah.
6: Just to yeah. build on that, like I'm very suspicious of beauty. I I love beautiful things, but I think they work well in um, in an ironic mode or in in a contrast mode, like you're talking about trauma, and then you, um, then you flip to something beautiful, and there's a kind of sanctuary aspect to that, or a place where we go, um, where we yearn for something, and that touches something kind of deep. I think stirs us emotionally. So I think it needs to be earned. Mm-hmm. Beauty is always something I go, is that earned? You know, is has that, you know, is there a contrast to that 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 makes that, you know live is there a dynamic range and i think that goes to the the kind of confidence that or the the trust in the audience because if something's i don't know if it's saccharine or something that there's there's a a you know we're playing on different cultural ways of pushing against whatever needs to be pushed against in the play right so we're pushing against culture in some way or good good place do, right? Push against something. So what is that What is that place? Um, what is being pushed against that then needs a breather or needs some other space to go to? And just uh, a word about the kind of, the huge tool set that we we actually get in, yeah. in video. Like, you know, working with, I work with Isadora and with Touch Designer um, and with QLab. And, uh, but Isadora and Touch Designer are like, you can just fall into those tools and go, "Wow, can we can do this and we can do that? We can do that." But it just—it's like, you know, just because you have a laser, uh, you know, cutter doesn't mean you have to like the, chop a table to bits. You, you want to build the table,
2: and you know, <laughs> you know, and go like, and you're like, "Wow, look
6: at this!" You know, uh, just yeah, being wary of technology, letting the meaning uh, pull the technology. Not the technology lead the meaning.
4: Yeah, totally. Um, So that actually, that's moving into uh, process questions, which I'm very curious about. But uh, not to structure the audience questions, but does anybody have questions on beginnings? Sort of how how people get their starts? Uh, If not, not that's fine. (laughs) 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 Or that. Which? Ultimately, that. Okay. Um, We have
1: one, yes. We have one.
3: It's the beginning that's of the awesome. beginning. The question, Amazing yes. jacket
1: is coming up. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, I was wondering if any of you assisted as part of your
0: Yes. And like
3: mm-hmm. how you got into that, like what the process was to contact those people, or if you just knew them, or if like if it was a good experience, or yes. you regret it, or I don't know. Yeah. Yes. That's Tell good us good about your regrets. Talk shit, it's fine. No, that's a really good important on. point. Mm-hmm. That I totally skipped over in my like I don't know a friend of mine like asked me a uh, Lorenzo Savolini who's a designer, oh, Mr. designer was like you should assist me on a project and that was kind of a magical moment I think I went to a workshop he was giving on design and using some script analysis. And I was being mouthy and he was like, Hey, who are you? Like <laughs> And so then I spent a summer assisting him on a show and that was the beginning of an actual like actually understanding what design was and that it could actually be a career. So that was like magical and lucky that he I met him at that time. I think that if you like someone's design work, you should email them and ask to assist them.
1: Mm-hmm. That's, that like
0: generally acceptable? Yeah. I do it not? all the time. Yeah. I never mind it. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? I do it all the time, and I get jobs that way. Yeah, yeah. it's totally true. The course, I can say is
4: no. Think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, keep, sorry, keep, keep uh For me
5: personally, I've, I spent six years at the Stratford Festival as an assistant, and that's where I learned a lot of more, probably about the process uh, and technology than anywhere else. Uh, How you interpret the story is always going to come from you and your collaboration with the director, but uh, there are those jobs out there if you go looking for them, Uh, Stratford or Shaw or places like the larger companies out there will hire assistants in certain departments. And it's a very valuable thing to uh, sometimes just be handed a designer and say, here's someone you've got to work with, you've got to go develop a relationship with that person. What is,
4: just, oh, of, what is that grant that people sometimes get to follow
1: Do oh, you mean ID? the compass grant or the there's an, there's an Ontario, Ontario grant there's a Ontario, 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 the Ontario, Ontario grant, grant. The there's a couple grants. different grants Hold that are yeah. there yeah. for opportunity people opportunity
0: grant or something yeah. there's a Trinity grant I think yeah, yeah there's definitely a mentorship yeah. Uh, and then yeah. you can pick your designer yeah hey yeah. I'm free yeah. like you don't have to pay me or you know maybe you want to pay me but uh, I've got this grant that's that, that's no one to say no which is great no one will say no to that big thing to look looking to yeah anyway Alex.
6: Oh, um, I was my uh, stepfather's assistant my, for many years. As uh, in, He was a sound mixer, and I hung around his... He ran a studio in, in Saskatchewan, and uh, he's an Emmy Award-winning sound mixer. And he actually... This is a great story. I'll just tell it as an aside. He actually was a musician and got his start by totally lying. And um, he... Uh, he had a number one hit in England and then became a, uh, like many people, just got screwed over by his producer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that by that time he had two kids and no work, the band had split up. And uh, so he wrote a letter in the classifieds at the time saying, Senior sound recordist returning from Canada seeks employment. Guess who calls? Abbey Road.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
6: So he worked B&C studio well, the Beatles had an A and stuff like that. So I still I, I still consider myself his apprentice in a way because I just call yeah. him up and I'm like, I don't know how to do this. Can you, do you have a, a minute or two? So I think I was very, very privileged in that in, with regard to sound. But, you know, if Thomas Ryder Payne is listening, uh, even though we coached on a, uh, on a show at uh, NTS, I'll still assist him uh, yeah. in his next design. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's... It, and also, like in video design, for example, it's still like I'm, I just worked on a show at Cannes Station. it was an incredibly complex show. So I kind of feel like I'm I'm always reaching out to community. I'm like, and this is really an important point. I think is just consider all your peers, uh, points of contact uh, to go through things. So I'm like always calling Cam Davis. I have. Friend of mine who's in uh, Hamilton, who's one of the developers of Isadora, reaching yeah. out on forums, but also like particular people. I'm like, hey, this, how do I figure this particular weirdo, you know, incredibly technical thing? Uh, yeah. And, and yeah,
0: um, so. Yeah. I'd say that assisting is probably essential. I didn't do a lot of it when I was uh, beginning, uh, it wasn't until. I think about Bonnie Beecher. I assisted her on uh, on a show called *Free Decay* at Tarragon, and uh, Peter Hinton directed. They were both. Uh, oh, I didn't. I only realized this now because back then, you know, I was just brand new. I didn't know. You know, I didn't know the the business. And uh, uh, but they were just starting out as well. That was one of the first shows that they collaborated on. I think it was a breakout hit for both of them. Bonnie had been working for quite a number of years mm. before that, but. Uh, uh, if you listen to the title block, uh, episode number, whatever, you'll listen to Bonnie Beecher tell you about right. But um, Bonnie Beecher will tell you everything. Everything. But, uh, so I assisted her and uh, and a couple other people. I really the, the everything changed though when I went to the Shaw Festival in 1997. And I can't speak highly enough of trying. If you're really serious about design, getting into uh, a program at Stratford or Shaw. Now, mm-hmm. for for set design. I'm to be political here. Why, why should I be political? Because no. I'm not in the business. <laughs> Please do yeah. no. uh, uh, isn't into that. Yeah. Shaw, the, the lighting design apprenticeship at Shaw, because they were, there were several different tiers. One was the, the, the first uh, sort of brand new thing you get hired in is called the Jeffrey Dallas Assistant. And uh, it was endowed, not endowed. There was, a, there was a fund called the Jeffrey Dallas Assistant Fund that uh, pays for the assistant. Jeffrey Dallas was the head of design at the Shaw Festival before he died, tragically, of, uh, of AIDS in the late, uh, in the 90s. I'm going to say the early 90s. Uh, it was the early 90s. Um, anyway, so you started as a, an apprentice, and you, know, you were assisting you know, designers, but you're sort of, your workload is a bit lower. You get the, the smaller houses at Shaw, uh, which are still complex as hell. Um, but uh, you, what, the most important thing is you're in the room with the designers. Not only one designer, but a whole room of them. And that never happens. We're so, so we're solitary beings, right? We, we hunk, 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 uh, sort of hulked over your uh, hunched hunched is the word over your drafting table or your uh, or your <laughs> or your keyboard, trying to doing things. You're never in a room with a bunch of people talking, just talking about design, talking about things. Talking about the fourth wall and what that means from from a lighting perspective, like what is the fourth wall, man? It's like bouncing. So it's like light bouncing off of the wall that's downstage. So how do you how does that change three point lighting system? Like it's it's completely different, and how you think about it, right? Um, that was an entire conversation a bar I had with Rob Thompson one night. Uh, but but these opportunities don't exist when you're not assisting, right? When you're working by yourself. Now if you come out as uh, if you consider yourself an Auteur, then that may not be for you because you have a voice that you want to realize. But I tell you, design is not just having ideas; it's communicating them properly. And to know the systems, to know the way to communicate with everybody in a, in a, in a you know, in a kind of general way. Is uh, it takes a little time, and you and you uh, to understand how the paperwork system works in lighting, or how you know when to do a section, when to do when to do uh, you know uh, uh, to do insets for details inset or whatever it is a drawing. Like when when should you do working drawings? When should you not do working drawings? Uh, all these kind of ideas about how you communicate your creative ideas are things you learn as a, as an assistant uh, and as an apprentice, and I think it's a, kind of an mm-hmm. essential. Uh, thing to do. The Stratford program uh, had gone through, just a historical thing, had gone through kind of different waves of what your responsibilities were. Uh, The and uh, Jared can sort of talk about this, but it used to be a real apprenticeship program where you were really learning how to be a designer. Then it became more of a mechanical, traffic cop kind of thing, Uh, and it's sort of getting back into that now where you're really, uh, uh, you know, there's sort of fostering designers to come back and design there. So I think assisting is essential part of your training. Maybe not right away, maybe you want to pick your time, but uh, I think that, uh, you know, cold call people, find people. There's a couple different, I just spoke with Rachel Forbes, uh, at Shaw, and she mm-hmm. went through the Obsidian program, which started her entire career. And they yeah. uh, paid for her uh, to assist Astrid Jansen for a period of time. And then Astrid took her up and, and, and uh, gave her some opportunities with, uh, uh, with, um, with the video cab. And uh, her career kind of blossomed from there, right? So I think those opportunities, uh, there's probably not enough of them. But if you can find one, it's essential. You can
1: find one. And, like, I mean, if if I may, especially to get back to the question about, like, cold calling. Like, if cold calling doesn't make you feel comfortable, then go to things. Go to shows. Go to events like this. Go out. And that's where where people come. That's where people meet. And also, like, if you don't feel comfortable cold calling someone, ask someone you know to make an introduction. I know that Chris is always happy. I'm always happy to do introductions for people who want to meet designers. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of other people who are happy to do that as well.
0: Absolutely.
3: Yeah, that's a really good point. Also the yeah. Soul Pepper Academy. The
0: mm-hmm. academy. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which there's, is what I went through. So yeah. like
3: did my first stint with Lorenzo, but then through that he was like you should apply to the academy. Then a- in the academy spent 2 years assisting people, yeah. which is where I learned how to do all design like mm-hmm. <laughs> costume, lighting, set. You know, it's just through picking it up through assisting people Mm
6: -hmm. and if you're if you're too busy like you're you have to make a living right and and your job doesn't allow you to do that you can always it doesn't allow you to take off a chunk of time which is actually money right it's Mm -hmm. like losing money so you know you can also ask someone you know can I come in for you know a few days uh and Mm -hmm. just shadow you just Mm -hmm. just just hang out in the room just for a few days if you don't mind this is what I'm interested in and and most like, I'm always welcome to that. I, I have a kind of uh, priority to to um, work with indigenous young indigenous youth. Uh, you know, that's that's my particular priority. But I'm always uh, I'm you know always uh, open to people asking me.
0: Hi there, I'm interrupting briefly to thank those of you who have chosen to support the title block on patreon.com I really enjoy doing the show and I'm not going to stop while I have the time But it does cost a bit to do the show between equipment and web hosting not to mention extra mic rentals To ensure that special events like the bellows sound as best as I can make them So I'm asking that you help cover these costs and help me to continue to capture the story of Canadian theater design Go to patreon.com slash the title block podcast and donate a couple bucks an episode. It really helps
4: Pretty good answer to that question, I yeah, <laughs> am. Um, okay, uh, so into uh, sort of your process. Uh, now this is good because we have sort of a, a wide variety of of departments uh, and, and designers. Um, but obviously, all processes are kind of different depending on the show, depending on the director, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So if you could explain your process, your ideal process, <laughs> like I'm five. <laughs> like, like, explain it... Pull on a Reddit here. Explain it like I'm five. Uh, make it as simple as possible what takes you from the beginning to the end.
5: Huh. Okay. Throwing uh, your a curveball. Right. Right away, script. If, I, if, there, if there is enough lead time, I just do a quick skin, let it sit for a little bit, do another uh, more thorough read, and on a third read, I actually go through and start sketching. And every now and then... I'm, I do set as well as the lighting, so if I'm doing that, I'll be just going through and just sketching ideas of where it's just doodling, essentially. Uh, From then on, for lighting, what I'll do is create just a list of everything that I think needs to happen in the show, or uh, all of the looks that I need to create, from that, with the director, I'll start uh, figuring out where all of the lights will need to go, uh, go inside of the theater, and I'll be spending a lot of time in rehearsal, watching what the actors are doing, and just being a part of the conversations that are going on in the room, and figuring out, oh, that's an action. What's the flow of the show like? And that will take you into t- take me into queuing of the show, and just reacting and anticipating what the direction a show will, will take you.
3: Sure. Cool. When do you do your actual like, paperwork? Uh,
5: usually before, I'll do it in a couple of chunks. I'll have a one set that's fr- before rehearsals have started because now lighting plots are usually due before you've even started a rehearsal. Oh, that's crazy. And I'll come up with some basic um, concepts and ideas that I want to create with a director mm-hmm. before that. And then the rest of that I'll leave open-ended. I'll find all of those out from rehearsal. And if a uh, company wants to know, send us everything beforehand, I'll just say, y- you know it's gonna be wrong. <laughs> here, is, here it is anyway. Yeah, exactly. I'm gonna change it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fair, cool. Oh, that I have a cool. question. Yes? Because I know their
3: lighting and everything are due months ahead before the show even starts rehearsal. Yes. So how do you, as a how
4: do you collect all the information to create the
5: red plot? Uh, at Stratford, what happens is that the designers for the shows will have agreed upon certain shared uh, elements between all the shows, and then usually the show-specific plot will only be due after they've had some time to be in rehearsal. So, again, it comes in two waves. sort of everything that's uh, kind of common to a lighting plot. Like, there's going to be front light, there's going to be some top light, uh, and then there's specials for a show because all the sets will be different. So you might need, say, a light for a painting in one show, or you might need uh, different pools of light for another show. Those will come out of the rehearsal process, individual to
0: each show. And you just add on... And we'll just keep adding on. At, at Shaw, it's a bit different than Stratford because you guys have a bit more of a bare bones approach down there, right? There's a, there's a lot more room to do what you want for your show. Is that correct? Uh depends on the venue. Depends on the venue. Yeah. We have a. I know we go to a negotiation all the designers get together and do a negotiation quite later in the process. I mean, it's, I mean, it's it's later than set certainly, but uh, they uh, go down. They get down to the point where they they have a composite uh, set design. All four shows are laid down on the thing and they sort of find the minimum basic area that they all share. Uh, and then it becomes this kind of like horse trading. Well, <laughs> if I take a cut off of here, can we have a cut off of there? Like, and so we're all gonna cut to this riser, and then we'll have an extra set to cut to that riser. So it's a much more comprehensive, a uh, much bigger plot, basic plot, than it is, um, uh, I think, at Stratford. Um, and then you're just basically, really you're just putting in any kind of major concept, like. This tells this. This concept tells a story. Uh, Kevin Lamont would do things like um, these Faboda backlights. Uh, the the real ones are like the interlocking beam projectors. That He would do a row of like pars on twelve inch centers, all the same color, um, and he would add that concept in because pars are cheap and you can put like twenty of them on or thirty of them on a pipe, and it's not a big deal. But uh, then there'd be space for the left for like a light here and a light there. It was a much more kind of comprehensive process. So. It's, uh, it's a really interesting kind of uh, negotiation that goes on around the process to come up with that kind of plan.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess I'll talk to someone that's not lighting design. Yes, please. Um, please. Just to, so also the interesting thing is I've never worked at Shaw or Stratford. I do a lot of indie shows and then like some main stage shows at like just sort of crawling my way up there. But of course Soul Pupper having that in. I do a lot of work there, which is amazing.
1: Like also Crows.
3: And Crows, yeah. Now I work at Crows. Yes! <laughs> and you know, it's a process, but... Uh, I don't usually work in rap, which is interesting to note, so sometimes there's a bit more freedom. Anyways, in costume, reading the play, so important. Reading it several times, reading it with the director. Really analyzing what's happening. There's Katie Mitchell has a process of breaking down the script into things that people say about themselves, about each other. There's a sort of like more uh, straightforward process of like actually analyzing the text and what you can use, and there's other processes of being more poetic and having breaking down like what you think each character feels in each moment, for example, and like, these are just d- different ways of making your decisions less general, more specific, and more easier to communicate with a director. I recommend reading things that directors read because they're, that's how they're learning how to like, work with text, yeah. and pretty much, designers are just a different kind of designer, or director. But reading the text and like, really having a hold on it is helpful. And then in costume, usually it's period of some kind, even if it's like the 80s. So do a lot of research online at the library. The reference library is great for costume. They have so many strange clippings, like magazine clippings that people have like stapled to a card and labeled and like put in a file and you can go find them. Um, To get a sense of silhouette or color scheme, like just generally in the back of my mind. But it's unrealistic to expect to build everything. So after doing sketches, prelim sketches with the director, general idea, like a palette usually. I try and keep things really general because what I end up doing is after rehearsals start and we have people's measurements, so sometimes it's quite compacted. Like, you meet the actor, they look completely different from their headshot, for example. <laughs> <laughs> I met That's an actor today I... and I was like, he's so small and tiny and this other actor's like huge and I didn't realize. And now up as they rehearse, I'll be out of the room shopping. And shopping can be frustrating because the pallets that are in season are not the palettes that you wanted, so you have to go to Valley Village, even if you do have money to not go to Valley Village. Um, so it's, I think, training your eye to a concept, like trying to hold on to something shared with your collaborators, even when you're out in the world collecting. And then usually, it's best if you can collect a lot of things so that in your, when you're in a work, or a fitting with actors, you can react to what they're saying and how they're feeling. And then you're not like really early limiting yourself to one look. Um, And being very flexible. Like having these strong ideas, but then also reacting to changes in the room and reacting to how actors actually feel and look in clothes, which is always so malleable de- like depending on the person and things you don't expect so being really reactive cool and then working with cutters and seamstresses and always hiring them especially if you're not one yourself and even if you are one yourself hiring someone else so that you're not doing two people's jobs very important
4: yep and that's then that's a question doing all of
3: <laughs> your returns and all of Personally, your paperwork or, yeah. and getting a check before you buy all the costumes on your credit card. <laughs>
4: Very
3: and, yeah. you know, keeping the receipts and keeping your originals and not giving them to the company just because they say, oh, we need originals, give them yep. photocopies because you will be, especially if you're getting petty cash because that can look like income on your taxes unless you're like, this was petty cash and then I returned it to the, here are my receipts to prove that this is a transaction.
4: Oh, well, that's
3: a g- You know, I summarizing all of this stuff. Damn
5: access stuff. things you don't learn in school right yeah um, and that usually
3: happens after opening so it's a very long process fair enough that, that's an yeah. overview of costume
0: cool. yeah oh, man. just a very thin overview <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this whole thing is a thin <laughs> overview <laughs> 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 um
4: alex what about uh, what about projections
6: uh, projection
0: specifically, yeah, specifically.
6: Okay, it, it might be more interesting to look at projections because they're generally kind of more complex than than sound is. Um, I don't want to offend any sound designers or or, or draw any. You can talk about sound too. You know. Yeah, it's I can talk fun, about sound, but um, it's interesting to look at projection because the the amount of time that's required. Uh, to build a sequence or build a queue or something like that. So I'm, all, I'm always trying to work with either original material or material that's under license uh, or, you know, that's in the public domain um, because you always have to presume that the show is going to be wildly successful and we'll tour around and then someone famous will show up to that and go, hey, you know... I'm from UB40, and please don't use red red wine. Uh, you know, or I'm going to send you a you know a, a cease and desist letter. So presuming that it's going to be successful, and especially uh, the restrictions. What's that? Has that ever happened to you? Not yet. Not yet. It's only better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, <laughs> but uh, being a filmmaker and having having things broadcast. Uh, there's a whole different level of permissions required and it has to go through lawyers, which then go to insurance companies and then come back to the lawyers. Okay. And, and you know, every little piece, it's called chain of titles. You you have to go up and down the chain to figure out who owns this, this thing. Um, so, I mean, in video design, setting expectations is a huge thing in terms of communication with the director. And communication, you know, I mean... Uh, so I teach at NTS, and one of the first things that I say in, in kind of the core course in video design is that there are two things that will drive you crazy in this business, and one is cables, and the other is people.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's pretty
6: true, which, which just points to the, the, the need for communication on all sides, the need to always be respectful, and, and, and also that's where things go wrong, Right? Is in communication and expectations. Uh, that's where things break down. Is, is understanding. I mean, there's soft things like, like you know, I just met Michael and and yeah, like we're gonna have brunch tomorrow, I'm sure. But um, <laughs> or <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but no, I mean like you know, just the the interrelation uh, aspect of how to how to how to. Um, Pick up what somebody's putting down, and in, in in the process of doing video design, one of the hardest things is that is to come in late in the process. Like yeah. you get a late call in the process, and you're like, you know, I can give you only so much uh, that that I can build. But like, really get. So I read the script uh, once. I note um, kind of any really obvious things that I'm like, okay, that has to happen. That has to happen, and I kind of have some ideas for myself like how would I respond how did I respond emotionally to this what was my experience of this so I note some of those things down and then I have a, a conversation with the director and I that's where getting on a similar page is an evolving process but it's also important in that meeting to get as much of the sense of what the director wants uh, this play to be about what is it about what you know, what's the theme, What in what sort of world is it. Uh, get as much information. And often directors, um, you know, may know a lot of stuff, but often directors don't know a lot of stuff. And they're sorting it out themselves. So working with conditional language, saying might it be about this, it might be about this, could be about that, I think it might have this. So just having that initial conversation to kind of get generally on the same page, and, then, and that makes the director, I think, relax in a way, so that you're like, okay, we're artists working together to kind of get somewhere, right? And then rereading, going through, make, you know, noting anything. So I'm working off paper a lot, um, and sourcing uh, sort of inspiration images or images that kind of look like that, and throw that in the Dropbox, and then they can have a look at it. And then, uh, but it really depends so much. uh, Like, you know, some in in video, some is so systems focused and some is more about the content. I try and work just with one projector if I can get away with it or, you know. uh, But then you're often having conversations with lighting designers with costume to try and figure out, because video is really, you know, kind of this meeting point where you're, you're working in graphic design, you're working in lighting, and you're working with sound sometimes, and so you're, you're doing all that. But you also have to relate to the TD and the PM quite a bit because uh, projectors cost a lot of money, and so you have to figure out follow what that, can Alex, you afford. of that, What's that?
1: <laughs> I all of that, Alex. Yeah, yeah. No, you
6: have to keep them in the loop, and you have to come back to the director and say, you know, at that distance uh, projection, because a lot of people think, Projectors are just all kind of one thing. You put it up, and <laughs> but No, they're. it is astonishing
1: how many people it's think really that a projector true. is a projector is a projector. Yeah, it's yeah. So, different so
6: for example, like uh, you know, a touring show that, um, and one of the key questions is, is this thing going to tour? Because um, knowing yeah. that. You need to know a lot about distances. You need to build the show in relationship to the distances, which means talking to the lighting design, which means where is this projector going to sit. So there's a lot of math involved in terms of trying to figure out where the optimal position is and how many projectors you can afford and get away with and travel with, right? So you want highest resolution. There's a lot of system design in terms of... Projectors are usually made to just, you know, you have a, a computer and, and you've got this projector, but signal paths are incredibly important. Uh, projectors are not built for long cable runs, so then that um, then you have uh, communication problems. And communication, no matter what happens, once you've gone through all this process and you've been in rehearsal, when you get in in there, you always have to build in room for your all your paperwork to be off. So, like, one of the basic things is I, I say never be in the on either end of your Zoom. So, like, they have a Zoom lens. If you're at the back of your Zoom, yeah. this happened at a uh, factory once, and uh, somebody else brought in, <laughs> it was a PM for, uh, for somebody who brought in a projector and was like, okay, well, that's what we've got. Well, we can't. It's rear projection, and we, we can't knock out the wall. We we don't try to at the mirrors. We don't have yeah. our shot. We we it, it won't fit that thing. Yeah. So you know that's where a lot of the math comes in, and and it needs to. But you need to loop back to the PM and the proj- and the director and say, you know, if you're going to use one projector at that distance, a it may not be very bright. B it'll be really pixelated, and whatever. But then also. You need that gear before day one. You need to test it because you walk in there and you spark it up and that projector is green. I have a number of workarounds, but the first time I found that problem, I didn't know what to do. What it means is the LCD, uh, it's usually an LCD uh, projector and it means the blue um, filter has been burnt out, so you have to, anyway. Oh, I could some, I could go on just on get that. some minus green and put it on the. Phone. It doesn't I, I work. I use actually a digital a, filter now, crazy. and I dial it down to minus five <laughs> or ten <laughs> or whatever a magenta digital filter, and then that gives Experiment me. Again, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean that's the the real important part, and it trumps absolutely everything, and it's not about it's about that communication with the director, and it's about the communication with the other designers to really go for the emotional um, moments because I think in the theater, the emotion should lead and then we should think about it. We should be washed over with something. It should be kind of symphonic and that we are, we are experiencing something primordial that then we walk away and we go, what the hell did I just see? You know, What the hell did I just experience? And then you have this So all that, all that technical, all those steps should always keep forefront because when you walk in as, you know, audience, you're like, I don't don't really care what you went through. You know, honestly, you go there for an aesthetic, spiritual, intellectual, philosophical, transformational experience, which we need, you know, we need in order to survive.
4: Well, actually, that kind of leads into another question I have, and maybe we can start with you as a very logically-minded, smart person. Um, at what point in the process uh, do you find yourself integrating sort of the technical budget, the, the, the what you have to work with? At what point do you start integrating that information, and how much do you find yourself sort of
0: butting up against that and wanting more? Uh, really, when I sign the contract, uh, because you're negotiating costs, I need a uh, like. What's what does the set cost? How many assistants? How many assistants? How many dozens of assistants? <laughs> no, but
1: Michael, that's, that's a really never good been point. negotiated. In and, and ever. <laughs> Someone has to know. catch my
0: cape when I unfurl it on them. No, uh, yeah, but
1: I mean, that's a good point that people might not know is that like your budget is also a part of your contract negotiation. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, how what, what are my expendables? How much money do I have to spend? on Gobos? How much are the rentals? What's the rentals budget? Uh, what's the set budget? How many How many dollars per person yeah. do I have? Per costume do I have? Um, uh, how much time do you have to do yeah, How much time? That? Like, what's the schedule? Okay. Like, do I is it a week? Is a week load in? Is it a two week load? Are there previews? Uh, do I have to stage for during the previews? Um, <laughs> you know, can I schedule another tech week after that? After a, the, After during the during first the uh, stage. <laughs> Uh, you know, so so really it does start from the beginning. I will say that I um, it, it does talk. I mean, one of the one of the advantages I think we have, and this is going to be this is going to be a bit odd to say. One of the advantages we have, I think, in Canada is the limits that are put on us, because it forces us to make choices, um, and that uh, informs the play from the beginning. It informs your entire design, right? I don't uh, I I. Uh, I'm a. I am a very practical person. I don't tend to think out, like think the biggest idea first, because I go, well, that's just crazy. Now, the get, how you get your ideas, I think, is the is the part that was really the most interesting to me by the end of my uh, tenor, tenure. Tenure, um, the it's important to sort of let your mind go and then come up with ways to sort of pick out what you think the play is about. Uh, and building that vocabulary with the director is sort of the first part of that. Um, but all throughout that process, you should, I think every I think every good designer thinks about it from the beginning. I think that there are designers out there that don't do that. And it just causes consternation with the crew, with the production manager, with the technical director, often with the director because you overpromise. You never want to overpromise because you will be embarrassed. And you will then be in, you'll mislead the director, which is a bad idea because they'll think there's gonna be a thing there when there's not. Uh, wasn't that supposed to go up and spin around? No, no, no. We're in a you know we're in the backspace. That right? thing does this and so it's, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, it twiggles a little. Bit. It does. Just this kind of. It does Just does one of those in the middle of the. Uh, you have a very small revolve. Very small. It's a lazy susan. That's all I mean. <laughs> uh, But you do have to think about these things. I think early on. I think that that's part of being a designer is making those choices. And so. Um, I do it right from the beginning. Now, there, the, the technical bits, so I, uh, I do all the things that uh, everyone else does. Uh, I think it's a very, it's a much more common process, I think, than I thought it was before I started talking to other designers about their own process. But um, I, use a very, I use a very simple kind of layout when I'm thinking of ideas called an Aero Concept Sheet, which comes from the US ITT uh, standards in the US and uh, it's very simple. It's just a direction and a declination and a gel number. That's all it is, maybe a gobo. It's a very simple way to organize ideas, and then that sort of translates into systems of lights that are then, you know, then you attach gear to. So in that, that, that way, you don't have to limit yourself by thinking, I only have 10 lights, what can I do? You sort of, you know, think of concepts. If you have more than 10 concepts and you've got only 10 lights, you're kind of in trouble, uh, unless you want to refocus stuff. But, you know, you, you, uh, you tend to sort of, push that away as far as you can but it never works it's always in the back of your mind Um, and I think it's important for it to be there I think that too many people think big and then don't uh, and then have to cut stuff and at that point I mean those choices after you've made all those decisions having to cut those things that you really care about is really hard it's like who's your favorite child right (laughs) and It's really yep. brutal, and so why would you put yourself through that? Is the point like why would you go? I want twelve of these beautiful, banery, something chairs, and then you go. Well, we have, mm. you know, we can't have twelve of those chairs. And we no, don't, we don't want you long. to
1: have to cut the Michael Cruz. No, out. of
0: course not. So, uh, you know, what can I then? The next, the next step, what that the, the road that that leads you down is. How can I accomplish the effect with three chairs that I buy at IKEA? Uh, and then you think about all the ways you know, and then that makes you think about what is it I'm trying to say anyways, right? I went to the Henry XIV thing because it was easy, but is it about opulence, is it about color, is it about shape, is it about profile, is it about that the height of the chair, is it about arms, like is it the ar- is it only the arms that are important, was that what I was in love with? Uh, and I think that those kind of limitations, especially if you bring them on early inform a choice that feeds the play better, because then you're not falling back on I can build anything. Um, at Shaw I used to say uh, and I still say this that the decision, your process is no different at the big theaters your mistakes just cost more money <laughs> <laughs> that's the only difference uh, and you have to make them sooner but, uh, so, so I think those limitations are important so that's why I think it's important to carry that, those, those thoughts with you throughout the entire process cool,
4: that's a really good answer to that question
0: yeah, it's like I have thought about it. Like you, a yeah, times. like you've done it
4: before a couple <laughs> times, maybe. Um, so just for time's sake, uh, I'm gonna uh, turn it over. Audience, do you have do you have questions just before we get into other things,
0: please. Echo has more questions. Echo, get in there. <laughs> okay, you, okay but you take it up. The-
3: how you just, you do, just you just do, do you? Do that that nice. yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: Thank you.
0: Sorry.
3: Um, my question is like, are you guys are ADC members? And if you're not, like, how do you? negotiate your contracts and what are things that we should watch out for and what really ADC does.
4: And I'm going to uh, uh, just follow up to this question. Um, one of the reasons we didn't dive really hard into ADC stuff on this panel is because we also do panels on contracts and fees uh, that I encourage you to listen to uh, our, our previous podcast on them. But real quick, because that's a whole big question. Uh, let's, let's chat about that real quick. Uh,
5: I'm an ADC member, I have been for a while, and in terms of how I deal with my fees, uh, I have a, I tend to have a base limit, uh, or baseline of this is what the show will cost, and after that I take into account, after I've been approached to the show, and talk to the director first, on scale and scope, it's like, how many performances, everything else, then I'll I'll adjust based on that. Uh, I don't want to go into a situation where I'm getting paid like, pocket change, but everyone else is getting paid at a normal rate, or I'm on profit share, and everyone else is getting paid. So just put yourself in the same playing field as everyone else is what I would do, and under, uh, kind of figure out what, you, what your work is worth, yeah, uh, in terms of mm-hmm. trying to make a living, because at the end of the day, design is not just art, it's work as well, so... If you that's mm-hmm. if that's how you're gonna pay your rent and put food in your mouth, then you have to make your make it worth your time.
3: Yeah, I totally agree. I'm not an ADC member. I've recently become. I thought about joining rec- like only very recently because I've become friends with people who hire me, and I find it's harder to have negotiations with friends. Okay. But mm-hmm. I've been. I still use ADC minimums as for my negotiations and quote them like as industry standards, and that seems to work. I also always negotiate for higher fees, which is hard, but you get better at it they'll yeah. mm-hmm. always i've never I've never been told I couldn't have more money ever, so just ask also interesting to note like. I came from fine art, where there's a real, like, monetary value on placed on art, like, objects. Like, it's art because I say it is, and it's worth a lot of money, you know? That kind of background, which I think is quite different from theater, so I think that gives me a bit of, like, confidence going into those negotiations, so it's interesting to, like, look outside at, like, how are other people making money, and, like, how can I reorient myself to a place where I'm valued? The other thing I do is I think about how much money I want to make in a year, how much time I want to have on vacation, which is usually not vacation, but like... Downtime? Downtime or making my own art. And then I... So let's say like I want to make $40,000 this year in 48 weeks. So I do some calculations about like how much money I need to make a week. And I use 40 hours a week, even though I work way more as the budget, like the number to like then divide. And I get uh, hourly, which is like 20. Usually, it should actually be... Well, as I'm like, I need to make more money, <laughs> it goes up. But when I first was starting, it was $21 an hour. So when I go into a contract, I would... Which is probably too low, actually. You should probably pay yourself more. But anyways, I paid myself $21 an hour. Going into a contract, I'd divide what they were offering me by 21, see how many hours they were paying me for, and then say like, I can't really do that design in that many hours, and I deserve to make a living. Don't you agree? And often they were like, yeah. And often they're on salary, these people you're negotiating with, so you can sort of be like, how much money do you make a year? You know?
4: I will say as, and as complicated and yeah. hard as that sounds, uh, <laughs> that, that is something it's we've favorite. consistently been told yeah. by good designers is that's how they do it yeah. they look at how much they want to make and they divide it up and that's like that even to me as like a you know sort of a semi-professional designer that sounds really hard to do mm-hmm. but that's something we get told uh, on the contracts and fees panel as well is that's yeah. how good designers do it
3: it's a simple calculation I can write it down for you after yeah
2: yeah. Yeah.
4: Maybe post it. Right. So we'll post it yeah, we'll post yeah. it. We'll post it. Yeah. It'll be Set available up. in the show
0: notes.
6: Short <laughs> uh, sure, answer: I'm not an ADC member, but I really uh, support the organization. I think it's an important organization, and I think it's uh, a good place to have a place where uh, you know there's some understood uh, forms of contracts and minimums, and mm-hmm. and also uh, you know when need be a political uh, advocacy arm. I think that's. That's super, super important. Uh, Short answer is I have an agent, uh, but, you know, uh, it'll be a conversation between him and I. And uh, often what I try and account for is mission creep because you'll be like, oh, can you do that other thing? Oh, can, you know. So building that into your calculation, just sort of knowing that, okay, it may be here, but it's probably going to be somewhere about here and just you know, having that part of your of, of your calculation. Often with video, people don't really understand what uh, a video designer does, so it's, uh, you know, sound design is a little more of a known quantity. Having worked in film, I'm not, I don't think there's any shame in asking uh, because I've made a, a lot more money in film than I've ever made in theater, and so it's not, you know, it's not a, uh, yeah, it's not a problem. But also, you know, thinking about contracts like, and thinking about how, uh, you know, sort of package you need and that sort of thing. I, I think for a, a few reasons, uh, I think my kind of aesthetic, like I was describing earlier, like looking for silence or looking for moments, leads me to kind of like, mm, can we do that with one thing? Because it'll keep us really focused on the story and on the content. And within one... Uh, sort of container, I can do so much. I, I was just, while you were talking, I was, <laughs> just as an aside, I, um, I love quotes. <laughs> and this is from, uh, if you've been to Barcelona, the Sagrada Familia, if you haven't been, go. It's absolutely amazing. But what was deeply moving was right beside it was a daycare and school for all the um, masons that worked there for years and years and years. Uh, And on the chalkboard, it says, uh, when the building simply has what it needs with the resources available, it has character or dignity, which is the same thing. And I think the modesty of not going too far in a moment um, leads me to uh, desire to lose things. (laughs) I want to lose elements of design. I want for the actor... Um, to be there in a pool of light or something and just have that moment. Um, I, often I find when directors are, don't really know what they want, they, they, they kind of grab at different things, so maybe here, maybe here, maybe here, sort of sinking to another level and going, what's actually happening in this moment? You know, What's the build here? Where are we going and where do we need to come out of? And how does... That sort of dignity and modesty um, provide the, you know, the gestalt circle where you're like, it's the electric jump between the two points, and you're like, that that lack of information or lack of, um, you know, gives it that. And video in particular can mm-hmm. so easily take over production. We have screens everywhere, so I'm like let's let's dial down the saturation Let, let's let's you know re, I'm a reluctant video designer in that aspect so I'm like where is the main course here the main course is on stage and if if it's going really well then we don't need a lot of doohickeys. so I, I try and um, make things possible for for theater companies to uh, you know afford that work. It keeps me working, but it also is part of my aesthetic, mm-hmm. so I think it works.
0: So, so I was an ADC member uh, when I was uh, working full time as a designer, um, and uh, it, it's a bit of a because the community is a, is small enough that you know most of the people in it. Uh, you know, after a few years, it did feel like it was an important kind of fraternity to be a part of, uh, or a sorority. Um, just like 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 it was, it felt like. I had made it. Now, I'm a big, I'm also a, a labor organizer. Uh, I'm a steward for QP Local 905. Uh, and uh, I just came back from the Canadian Labor Congress, um, where equity or uh, um, ACTRA was represented there from the arts. And I think that the ADC, uh, what I found really interesting about this conversation so far, is that um, you use ADC minimums as a standard. And that was a fight that's been happening for a long time to get those sort of accepted. And Mm -hmm. uh, what's really important about the ADC's work is even though it's not a closed chop uh, and even though you can't force um, people to take on the contract, I mean, there is an agreement between ADC and uh, PACT. uh, And if you're an ADC designer, the PACT needs to be using that contract. It doesn't mean PACT can't hire somebody else who's not ADC. And uh, But despite that, the ADC is having an effect on everyone's wages by increasing the, the floor uh, and setting a minimum standard of this is what right. this mm-hmm. is worth. Uh, and so I think that's a great benefit of the organization. Obviously, being a member, you know, f- uh, funds them, pro- you know, properly, well, funds them more. Um, <laughs> And allows them yeah. to do that good work, so I think that's important as well. I know uh, many people for many years. People thought, well, "What you know, ADC is not closed shop. What are they going to give me? Like, it's not. I can I can just take that fee, and I'm a good negotiator, so I can do that kind of work myself." There is uh, the contract is pretty great, and uh, and the it benefits from everyone else's kind of mistakes in the past, and right. So every clause in there is there because. Something happened on a show in 1985, and everyone got screwed, so we're going to put that clause in there to make sure you don't get screwed. Uh, so that's so I think that that kind of legacy is important to to um, to support. Now, as well, there's a movement now online. Uh, uh, if you listen to... I keep plugging plugging the podcast, I'm sorry, but Richard Farron. The new episode is out, and uh, Richard Farron is a sound designer and a composer, and he and I spoke about his efforts to tackle this issue head-on, and he started a, a Facebook group called, uh... The Designers Guild. Designers, so the Designers say, yeah. Guild, thank the you, designers thank Guild. you, which has about 400 members currently, 400 members. When I would join ADC, there was 120 people who were members back in the uh, in the mid to late 90s, so uh, 400, there are, first of all, can you believe there's 400 <laughs> designers in Canada? Like, that's incredible, um, but, uh... They're the, what they have been doing is collecting fee information. And so there's a database you can go to to see what yes. everyone made at the Tarragon so for the, you know, the big main stage show in October uh, you know, for the last three years, which is really helpful. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, it's a bit depressing because just to reiterate uh, a conversation that Richard and I had, uh, designers, because it's not a closed shop, because we have not been negotiating um, in complete solidarity... Uh, Ie, not putting up with people who are non-union doing the work, uh, or not, or failing to attract everyone to the same, you know, job. Designers have bore the brunt of the cuts for the last 15 years, and while actor salaries and union salaries in IA uh, and administration, uh, 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 administrative salaries, including artistic directors and general managers, have continued to sort of probably go up because they negotiate their contract every year and they actually can it's point to a salary and say, I'm worth $86,000 a year or a hundred and some odd dollars, whatever the number is. Because um, uh, there are artistic directors in Canada making over $100,000 a year. I think that's true for the larger, for the larger places. Um, can you imagine making $100,000 a year as a designer? <laughs> like I, not I don't it think lasts. anybody is. Whoa, whoa. Uh, let alone a, an actor you know, uh, uh, or, or, um, uh, or a director i a is a whole other, other thing, but they, they have res, they, the reason that they have uh, benefited from this is because they have been very uh, they 're a union they're a, you know they 've got a close job mm-hmm. so I think the best idea to start with is to talk to your fellows and find out what everyone 's making it 's a conversation that we never had with each other mm-hmm. uh, twenty years ago. It was very awkward when we first started collecting the information because nobody wanted to talk about it because no one wants to tell people how little they made in that show, or maybe how much they made, right? I got, and I negotiated 6,000 for that contract, and you know, you didn't. Uh, or whatever it was, right? It was just an uncomfortable conversation. So I think talking to, uh, to your friends, talking to your fellows uh, in the same level that you are working at, you know, whether you're a beginner or a new designer, uh, is important as well.
5: Right, um, and just to tag on to that, I think there's a little bit of stigma, in if you want to be an artist, it should be about the art, it should be. It, Shouldn't ever be about the money, but the fact of the matter is, it is. You, yeah. If you want to do this and have it put food on your plate, uh, be transparent about it. It's not a dirty subject unless you make it so.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, and, a better way to put it. and again. on bearing the brunt, like the OAC cut um, all arts organizations by five percent uh, in the last organizational funding round. So you know these kinds of things you know, get handed down to those who have the weakest bargaining power. So yeah. Um, it's, people, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's important to say, hey, I'm not, you know, that's a line I can't budge. But, but you know, it, it is it is also hard for people who are also looking for work and you're like, yeah. do I accept this, you know, because I need, you know, I'm, I'm getting started and I need... You know, this might be yeah. the first gig I get, and yeah. oh, it, you know, it's a good notch on the resume or whatever. I, you know, but it's funny. There's a few people who I, you know, have done small designs for as favors and have promised me to, oh, next time. And, you know, they've gone on to do Mervish and, and other things. And I've been like, oh, okay, so I never got that call? Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um,
6: mm, yeah. That's, so, uh, that's why it's like, you know, as you as you up, don't you know it's worth something. Yeah.
3: And I
4: think all that is really good to talk about over beer because we're getting into real heavy stuff. We're all like um, leaning on the desk like, now. And wow. also, there are about a million things I would have liked to continue, continue talking about. So maybe we'll continue yeah. this conversation uh, both at the bar and on Facebook. Uh, but I maybe wanna, we need
1: to have another panel.
4: I think about we do need design. to have one. Like, this is a real good. Real good panel. This is
1: good. Um,
4: but I'm, we're going to end off. Uh, oh, goodness, with uh, I had one, I had two questions, one or two questions I wanted to ask to end off. So I'm going to combine them, but like two sentences on each of those on each of these things. Um, I want Bring you guys to tell me. In. Yeah, I want you guys to tell me um, one piece of advice you would give to new incoming uh, designers, uh, and I want you to give me like one or two sentences on uh, the best or one of the best designs you've ever seen. Your favorite design.
0: Your favorite design. Start from that end. (laughs)
5: Uh, As far as design goes, when you're starting out, be bold and audience will go and follow you. Make those choices, make them strong, and you'll learn from them. As far as show, favorite designs recently, um... If you haven't, if you didn't see Prince Hamlet, mm. uh, that was oh. my favorite piece of design, I think. That was great. Yeah, nice. And that's the Lorenzo design. That's the Lorenzo design. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and Andre Dutois for lighting.
3: And Andre yeah. Okay. yeah
5: nice. Oh Andre. Mm.
3: Andre. <laughs> uh, tch, tch. my favorite designs. I think so a lot of uh like specific designs that come to mind. Is that what you want to yeah. hear about? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like show somebody, or like out. Pe- show Or, like, out. A,
4: like somebody's oh work. Oh my that god! You'd okay, really okay
3: like, so, so like. Julie Fox. Oh, Julie Foxy! Yeah. She just did a show called "What It's Like" for Heidi Strauss, who's a dance artist. Oh yeah, that It was, was great. so beautiful. It was in this up this upstairs space, and it was it transformed the space like several times into many spaces and totally hit me like blindsided me every time and just hurt. she's amazing I think she's great totally surprising advice to young designers I don't know (laughs) talk to each other like call each other get all of our numbers call us yeah. Let's talk.
0: That's
3: Yeah, like, I think there's lots of, like, situations that need specific advice for. But, yeah, talk to each other and be nice to each other. That's
6: what i say. Good advice. Um, don't be intimidated by anyone. But treat everyone with the respect you give a person in your family you give the most respect to. Um, follow the meaning of what it is here. You know, because that's all what it's all about. I'm trying to think of, I remember this, I remember this Lepage design. I'm trying to like go back and think about what really. Got me, and I think this early Lapage design from Tectonic Plates that talked about how it was so much about an emotional world. It, it kind of I, I'm now I'm not a huge Lapage fan because I feel like there are some things that are really well achieved. I haven't seen 887, which I really want to see, um, but the uh, Tectonic Plates used talked a lot about the internal world and talked a lot about physical and sexual abuse, something that I care a lot about. And so it was a lot about water and about, and it used kind of hydraulics to show how the world could be upended by these and destabilized by these moments. And so that, uh, I think, got me on a core place. And I think when it does, when it, when the, 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 the physical metaphor that, Lighting metaphor, whatever is used, reaches that place where you, um, where it can only be said by that thing, right? And it 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 showed me, I think, that um, when we talk about when we talk about emotion, there's there's something about the geography of emotion. Uh, you know, what it is you wore, or what, where you were. Or memory, because we're often talking about memory so much in plays, right? We're often talking about going back and how that impacts your present. So, like, that's way beyond two sentences. <laughs> but, yeah, what is it about the geography of that play? What is it about that? And, uh, yeah. Cool. Anyway, I'll, I'll trail off there. Cool.
0: Cool. Uh, your trailing off is pretty awesome, though. Oh, thanks, man! Also, I want
4: to point out that I'm sure that, that. that like I'm sure fridge or whatever has gone out during you talking. Like, oh, it's always every time. time. As, it's Alex. Like, Like, just like, let's noises. be silent. Let's listen to
0: what Alex has we to We have more noises it's than like usual. A, it's a new ten time venue. Times, okay. Really okay. There's time. no radio in the mics. Like, is oh, really a past <laughs> Nice. Okay, so I'm going to, again, be practical. Do it. In my advice... Uh, which is always have a backup plan.
2: Mm.
0: Now, and there's two aspects to that. There's a backup plan as a designer, like when that fails on stage, what am I going to do instead? When the director says it's ugly, what am I going to do instead? When the gel doesn't arrive on time, what am I going to do instead? Always have a backup plan. Uh, Even when you're led down, oh, especially when you're led down the garden path. Oh, this will be great. We'll do this and this and this. Why don't we do it this way? I, I've done it that way before and it hasn't worked. Well, you know, we should do it that way. Okay. So you do it that way and go, and then mm-hmm. in my back pocket is the way we should be doing it. And then when it fails, not that you want it to fail. Sometimes it doesn't fail. Most of the time it fails. When it <laughs> fails, you go, oh, look at the thing we can do. Have a backup plan. Have a backup plan uh, for work. What are you going to do if there's no work this summer? Uh, have be skill- pick up other skills. Uh, Your costume designer, maybe you can cut. Maybe you can HOD a wardrobe someplace. Uh, maybe you can be a buyer at the opera while you do the other work. If you're an LD, you can do uh, you know events. You can go where, All right. The way I separated was I went to uh, I did work with PRG with you know all this. Uh, I did all the events work, and that's where I did all my tech work and stayed up to up to uh, up to speed on the on the high tech stuff. And then I did all my design work in theater. Uh, and dance and opera. So, uh, have a backup plan. Uh, and then, as far as my favorite design, uh, it's not Canadian, I'm sorry. Uh, but, uh, and I just had to look it up. It was uh, Verdi's A Masked Ball from 1989 on the Bregnitz Festival on Lake Constantine. You guys know this? Oh! Uh, Bregnitz Festival, sorry. Um, you may know it from Quantum of Solace, the uh, James Bond film, but... Uh, it was a, there was a webcam they have that was uh, would show the scene changes and it's a giant book on a lake, giant yeah. book like the size of the Canadian yeah. Can- Can- stage, not Canadian stage, uh, O'Keefe Center, which is now called the Hummingbird Center, mm. the yeah. old yeah. opera yeah. house, uh, and it's on a lake and there's a giant, fucking, fucking sixty foot, seventy foot skeleton, mm. you know, with the skeleton, with the arms and he yes. had little uh, follow spots oh. in his eyes. It was the best thing he ever invented. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I just thought the scale cool. of that mm. was just incredible. Awesome. Uh, anyways, those are my thanks. That's no, good. it's okay. Thanks for awesome. kicking it to a
1: James Bond movie to kick <laughs> off this panel in an yeah, epic way. Yeah,
4: that's that's really great. Um, re- quick shout out, my, my favorite design recently was Carried Away on the Crest of a Wave, <gasps> which uh, Pip was was. I was the house it. tech on that yeah. show,
1: and I was wet literally all the time. I mean, like, physically wet.
4: It was in a pond. Oh, that pond. show was real good. <laughs> uh, uh, and my <laughs> advice to designers is listen to this podcast again, because this is a real good one. We got a lot of really this great information out of this. Yeah, thank uh, you guys so much. Yeah. Uh, if you have questions, please. Oh, Michael
1: Cruz has a point.
4: Oh, uh, Michael, Oh yes,
0: yes, uh, we you have to remember the thing, th- and then we'll do the thing. Okay. If you have more thing.
4: questions, uh, we encourage you, please, to continue talking about this at the bar, grab a drink. Uh, these guys might be here for a minute. Uh, we got to clean up anyway. So, you know, grab a drink and uh, ask more questions. I mean, Shannon said she'd give you her number. So oh. <laughs> right that's really cool. <laughs> uh, and also to uh, tip your bartenders and, uh, and thank you to and the theater center for having us. Uh, we, oh, we always forget.
1: That. Yeah. We always forget to mention the fact that, uh, the Bellows is a not for profit, which means we are also a non money sort of scenario. We make all these events Uh, Pay what you can because we want everybody to be able to come. But if you could pay something, it would go a long way towards making this not... A problem for us? Yeah. Uh, you can write it off on p- your taxes. And you can, uh, we don't give tax receipts. You
3: can't oh. do that, you should. You the Bella should do that oh, for you. How would we do that? <laughs> <give us> <laughs> <to> <laughs> yeah. I don't know tax You can write off your beers yeah. for your taxes. Uh, professional yeah. development. Taxes. Yeah,
4: we want to mention our next panel. And we definitely do because it's
1: on June 19th, Chris. Oh, so it's June good. 19th. We don't know where it is yet, but I bet you anything
4: it will be. It's really probably here
1: uh, we we also have theater pass prime. We don't wish to say they do, don't. It's just that theater pass prime is not available for the next couple of months. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we're here. Uh, uh, and it is.
4: Announced. It's called "Don't
1: Be That Guy." Don't be that guy.
4: Don't be that. Don't it's be that true person.
1: stories of horror yeah. from tech and production. Yeah, we're all so gonna like, share. guys. The really dirty, <laughs> see me stuff.
4: Yeah. Oh, I got some. I got some. Reports. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> I know. Yeah. I've been writing them in my diary.
4: Yeah. So uh, think of think of uh, fun stories to tell about. Uh, don't be that guy. Don't be that person. Uh, yeah, and that's on June 19th.
1: That's on June 19th, Location, right here. TVA, probably And here. then, are we ready? Are we ready to say the thing? I
4: think we are. Yeah, yeah, let's go. Let's go. Oh, the thing. So,
1: uh, we're also going to be part of the tent program at the Fringe Festival this year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, year we're going to be presenting a, a number of, of short pieces, uh, and we're hoping to also podcast record those po- so that we have a way to get them out to a larger audience than the 40 youths who get to be part of the Tent Project. So that's that's something we're doing at the Fringe. Also, Chris is at the Theater Pass for My Backspace. Yeah. I'm at the Theater Center Incubator. That little room right over there. So you can always find us here during Fringe and also at the club. Yeah. Hey, the club. With us at
4: the club. Yeah, we'll be at the Tent all the time.
1: Yeah, we love it. Come ask us tech advice.
4: <laughs> Thank you guys so Amazing. much. Amazing. Thank you so much. Wonderful. You were a really great audience. I see joke. there's a lot of you here who haven't <laughs> been here before. <laughs> and we love you.
0: And that was another presentation of The Bellows, Getting Started in Design, recorded on May 15th at the Theatre Centre in Toronto, Ontario. The next episode of The Title Block will be a conversation with set and costume designer Peter Hartwell. The music for this podcast is by Vern Good, with voiceover by Gabriel Propley. Please go to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. It'll help get the word out about this podcast and share the history of theatre design in Canada. And you can follow us on Twitter at The Title block CA and on Facebook.com slash The Title Block Podcast. You can send comments and requests by email to TheTitleBlock at gmail.com. And don't forget that if you like the show, please support us on Patreon.com. I'm Michael Cruz, and I'll see you next time on The Title Block.